1: The noise that started during the end of the news going up to just now is all brought to you by Doctor History because his mic was on. Good morning,
0: Doctor History. Good morning, Zeb. How you doing? I am good. You brought a friend with you. I did. This is my brother-in-law, Jonathan, from Orange County, California, up here, and we're going to actually make a little trip out through the city of Rocks and Ooh. do a little history drive over That'll there. That'll
1: be beautiful. Through, up there.
0: Yeah, it's a beautiful day out there today. Yeah. So, Don't
1: get stuck in the snow.
0: Uh, we, we won't go that deep. I see. I hope. By the
1: way. Uh, um, you of course a great american and we've had this program going for a long long time and anytime we've talked about our military you've always been one of the first to step up and say a great salute to the men and women in our military on uh, this coming weekend as a matter of fact saturday veterans day remembrance day and you had mentioned to me that you had a poem that you'd like to honor our military
0: i do um a short time ago, I finished reading a book about Ernie Pyle. Yes. Now, Ernie Pyle was probably the most famous and most read war correspondent of World War II. And after reading his book, there was a part in there that just kind of stuck with me, and I, I kind of came up with this poem. He, Ernie actually uh, was in North Africa for quite a while, then he went over into Europe for mm-hmm. quite a while, and mm-hmm. then ended up over in the Pacific, right. and that's where he was uh, shot and killed. But uh, this is just something that I, I came up with that I would like to read to you. Very so good. It's called The Stone Wall. The men arose, prepared for the day, a day like so many others, rifles, helmets, and all the gear, a bond like so many brothers. Orders came down the line, orders for soldiers to obey, wondering what the day would bring, home folks praying day after day. From a ship, a bomber, in a tank, Are those with boots on the ground. They are the greatest generation, no braver men to be found. They volunteered willing to serve with mud, blood, courage, and fear, forever hoping war would end, never knowing if death was near. Captain Walsko's body lay quiet and still in the shadow of the stone wall. A true leader loved by his men, why did this man have to fall? His men gazed at the lifeless form, Questions, no answers, but why? Willing to fight for family and country, and yes, even willing to die. Peace would come in the end, the cost, so many gave their all. Let's remember those who didn't return, those neath the shadow of the stone wall.
1: You knew, you really outdid yourself. I'm speechless. That was an excellent poem, and I give you tribute and I'd also ask ask you to do a favor. What's that? I'd like you to send that letter, honestly, to the NFL headquarters seriously, to Roger Goodell, and let him distribute that to the players that want to disrespect our flag and our military by taking a
0: knee. Yeah. Well I'm gonna leave this with you, Zeb, and I appreciate so if you that. wanna uh, use it later, next week, or whatever.
1: You know, if if I have your permission and uh, I could do it justice, I'd like to do it next Monday on our sure. tribute to Veterans Day. Do That'd be fine. Doctor history. I had a hard time choking back the tears because it meant a lot to me because it reminded me of a lot of my buddies from Vietnam that didn't come home. Yeah. Yep. Thank you.
0: So today... We're going to talk about Chief Joseph and the Nez Perce Indians.
1: One of the greatest military tactician minds
0: that ever lived. Yes. 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 An amazing man. Yes. So, And I know we're not going to get through this, so it's going to take at least two, maybe three sessions. Oh,
1: that sounds like a serial
0: cliffhanger to me. <laughs> it does. So we're going to zip as far as we can go and then finish next week and whatever. Well, get on your Appaloosa and, and ride. here we go. All right, so here we are, The summer of 1877, uh, Americans from coast to coast read kind of with increasing awe and somewhat of a feel sorry for thing about the newspaper's coverage of one of history's greatest epics of group courage and endurance. Mm-hmm. Five bands of Nez Perce Indians, totaling about 700 men, women, and children, had fled from their homeland in the Pacific Northwest and were trying to find a refuge from the U.S. Army. Now, perhaps among the friendly tribes on the plains, perhaps in Canada, they just wanted to go anywhere they could uh, to get away. So uh, during their zigzagging, actually 1,700-mile flight, 1,700, and this is on horseback and on foot. Yeah, I was going to say, they didn't exactly take a taxi. No. But the Nez Perce were constantly pursued and attacked by a vastly superior government force whom they repeatedly defeated, fought off, or somehow outsmarted them. That's right. Well, as the da- desperate trek uh, continued, many of the newspaper readers came to agree with uh, this magazine called Harper's Weekly that the refugees had a great deal of right on their side. They they felt like the Indians were in the right, Absolutely. not in the wrong. Absolutely. And they found themselves rooting for the Indians, yep. the underdogs. And, uh, of course, their heroic figure identified as their leader, and he was a tall, powerful young man named Joseph.
1: You know, it should be noted here, Doctor, why they were forced into this flight would
0: you like to talk and, about yeah, that? Yeah, and we're going we're gonna to go. That'll be you the first part. You always tell me that. Yeah, just hang on, Zeb. Okay, I'm nervous. <laughs> we're, we'll get there. <laughs> In fact, he was called the Indian Napoleon. Yes. That's what the press, the newspapers called him. So, now, actually, Joseph was not the leading chief of the Nez Perce or even a war chief. He was a, what they called a civil chief. And while he helped to plan the Nez Perce brilliant strategy as a member of the Council of the Leaders, he modestly minimized his military skills, saying, the great spirit puts it in the heart and head of a man to know how to defend himself. So that was his attitude. But his authority uh, was more, actually more than a war chief's power. Uh, it rested on him. His, he was dignified, calm. Unswerving uh, devotion to his people, to his uh, family, and his people, at least that faction of the tribe caught up in this unwanted war, recognized him as the guardian in their time of need. So he wasn't really a war chief, but they looked to him as a great leader. So, anyway, in spite of the massive chase uh, mounted by the U.S. Army, the Nez Perce had never presented any threat to the white men. That's right. Up until that time. Now, the entire tribe consisted of about 3,600 people, but they were divided into many small bands. And in former days, they had been widely scattered throughout the rugged uplands where Oregon uh, met the future states of Idaho and Washington. So, geographically, picture southeast Washington, Northeast Oregon, and kind of that middle part of Idaho.
1: Yeah, didn't they have the fracturing uh, before they were forced onto that track? Uh, many of the Perce stayed around the Grangeville area, I think.
0: Right. Yes, and that's yeah. that's kind of close to where we're we talking. Okay. But uh, the Perce had always been friendly in their dealings with white men, and asked nothing for them in in uh, peace, uh, other than peace. Now, one misnomer out there. It's been said that the Nez Perce were called that because they pierced their nose and that's not That's not true. true. That's not true. And uh so you know, I've read in some places where they say yes, it's because they pierced the nose. But other no, they did not. That so where that came from Well
1: look, you're not Nez Perce, but you come in with a nose ring. <laughs>
0: three or four. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't think you'd notice. So anyway, uh the Nesper, so called by the French Canadian trappers, because of their pierced nose, really was not true. No, uh, and it said they wore a shell. Anyway, they didn't. Okay, so then that was in 1805 when the French trappers kind of first met them, And then when Lewis and Clark uh, stopped on their way west, uh, the visitors found them a very advanced and enterprising tribe, already mastering the arts of selective horse breeding. And you know which horse that is?
1: The Appaloosa. Appaloosa.
0: And uh, these guys were pretty amazing because they would geld the unpromising colts and sold off the scrub mares to neighboring tribes. And by breeding only the best animals, they built up a great herd uh, of these Appaloosa horses. Which no, were, uh, no different than thoroughbreds or quarter horses. Right, exactly. Yeah. They were very skilled uh, stockmen. Yep. Uh, Lewis uh, ranked them, quote, among the most amiable men we have seen. Their character is gentle. So these were they were not a real warlike tribe.
1: They got a raw deal.
0: They did. They, ve- they really did. Well, decades later, towards the end of the fur trapping era, white missionaries found them to be receptive to, the, to Christianity. So in 1836, the Reverend Henry Spaulding founded a Protestant mission on Lapway Creek in Nez Perce country. So that's right in this area we're talking about. Right. Okay. Now, one of his early converts was Joseph's father, and we're going to call him Old Joseph. He was the leading chief of one of the richest Nez Perce bands. Now, his oldest son... Uh, born in April of 1840, he was given the name Thunder Rolling in the Mountain. He was baptized by Spalding and given the name Joseph. Really? So his original name was Th- Thunder Rolling in the Mountain. Now, he had a little brother, and his name was Olacut. 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 Now, remember? what did that mean? I don't know. Oh, you're supposed to have the
1: answers to these questions.
0: <laughs> he was born two years later. By then, they'd ran out of, uh, what to call him, so Olakut. Olakut,
1: yeah, well, yeah. I looked at somebody the other day and I said, I think I'll name you Olakut. No, yeah. yeah, I bet you. It hit me and right away.
0: So this was their early childhood was around this Lapway mission. Yeah. Okay. Now, under Spalding's teachings, the Nez Perce became good farmers Cattle raisers, and by the late 1840s, the increase, increasing influx of white settlers and obviously the rise in friction between the people of the different cultures prompted Old Joseph to move his band southward to their ancestral domain in around the Walla Walla, Walla Valley. Okay. The what valley? Walla Walla. Wallawa. 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 That's what I said. Say it again, Wallowa. class.
1: We're going to have an oral exam on this in the morning.
0: <laughs> so, Joseph's Wallawa band and its four nearest neighbors were then first known as the lower Nez Perce because they inhabited the southern part. Right. So, you've got a southern and a northern group. Northern groups. part, yeah. Okay. Yep. Now, in 1855, the U.S. government decided to settle the various tribes of the Northwest on reservations and uh, clearly determine what land was available for development by the whites. And the age-old story, you know what's coming. Uh, The Indians, including the Nez Perce, were summoned to a grand council in Walla Walla, Washington, the Nez Perce uh, loose tribal organization, which gave a chief authority only over his own band, it caused some problems in negotiations. Uh, the government commissioners, commissioners tried to simplify matters by designating one man as principal chief. They only wanted to work with one person yeah. over everybody, and that's yeah. not the way they're the way they worked. Nope. So, an upper Nez Perce leader, uh, his name was Lawyer. In the end, however... Uh, His name was Lawyer? Lawyer. Never
1: trust a guy by the <laughs> name, name of, of lawyer. lawyer. Never.
0: Yeah. So they chose him. He belonged to that group <laughs> called Dewey, Cheatham, and Howe. Yeah. He was one <laughs> of those guys. So anyway, 56 Nez Perce chiefs, among them old Joseph, signed the treaty, and it actually originally was a pretty good one. Yeah. Uh, now, although the tribe lost a small portion of its traditional range, they actually had 10,000 square miles of reservation, and it was considered by the Indians to be good. It yeah. was room enough.
1: They actually, of all the Indian tribes in the nation, uh, especially when you look at, like, the southern Indians in Arizona, Texas, etc., their reservation was the most lucrative and the most uh, fulfilling for what they needed. Yeah,
0: because it was pretty much their Absolutely. ancestral land, yep. Yep. and they were promised $200,000 worth of goods and compensation for what they gave up. And really? now that is a lot of money. That's a lot of money even in 000. those
1: days. Why, that's even a little bit more than what you make.
0: Yeah, in a day. Yeah. <laughs> So, anyway, these arrangements were disrupted in the autumn of 1860 by the start of the gold rush. Oh, boy. Typical. Yeah, here we go. In Nez Perce country. Now, although prospecting was expressly forbidden under the treaty, neither the government nor the Indians actually tried very hard to stop these uh, invaders.
1: Were there a lot of invaders and gold miners that disavowed the treaty and went there? Oh, yeah. Were there?
0: Yeah, but the Nez Perce actually sold the prospectors' horses and cattle, and they kind of thought they would go away. Yeah, well, kind of like a
1: bad cold. Yeah,
0: but as the gold petered out, more and more miners did leave. But some of them uh, tend to steal Nesper's horses no in order way. to travel in style. Uh, but there were a lot of whites that stayed behind as farmers and ranchers, and you know, trouble started between the the Indians and the whites, and it just got a little worse and worse. But much of the trouble was over fences. Now that may sound strange. No, I believe that. Both whites and Indians would tear down each other's fences to use for firewood or to let their livestock through to the other pastures. Well,
1: look at Rand Paul. He got beat up riding a lawnmower. (laughs) He
0: did, yeah, and he probably didn't have a fence. So, uh, you know, they would uh, try to, you know, anyway, they couldn't get their animals in, and sometimes they'd go trample the crops of the white people or the Nez Perce. But the Nez Perce basic complaint was against the administration of the Indian Bureau. You see, what happened was the territorial officials and the white men's courts, if Indians uh, were caught doing something, they received a very stiff punishment for minor infractions, uh, while a white man could actually kill an Indian in plain view of other Indians, but escape prosecution Because of no witnesses.
1: Why didn't the Indians try to capture and hold some of the uh, minors that broke the law and turn them over to the whites and demand that uh, justice be served?
0: You know, that's a good question, and I don't know if they... Maybe they didn't trust uh, that oh, they see. would even get justice, yeah. if, even if they did that. Hmm. Um, in fact, they, they say that the, they concluded they could never get justice from their white friends. So why even do it? Yeah. So anyway, in an effort to ensure protection for the Ness Purse and also to acquire more land for the whites in the process, federal authorities called another council. Now, this was in 1863. They presented the chiefs with a new treaty, which, again, happened time and time again. And this proposed to reduce their tribal holdings from 10,000 square miles to just a little more than 1,000. Whoa. They lost 90%. Wow. So this prospect permanently split the tribe into two factions, okay? The upper Nez Perce chiefs, led by lawyer. Yeah. and See, I told you. You couldn't trust them. Do not trust that guy. Anyway, they signed the treaty. But the agreement called for actually no sacrifice on their part, since their range lay within the reduced reservation along Lapway Creek. Okay. But the lower Nez Perceps chiefs, led by Old Joseph, yeah. they were being asked to give up their homeland in the south and move north onto a reservation, which they maintained was too small for the whole tribe, and they refused to sign. Yeah. So now you got the upper and the lower, the upper guys they signed because it was no sacrifice. The lower ones wouldn 't sign because it was their land
1: that was territory at that time and not states right exactly right. Yeah. Washington okay.
0: territory, yeah yeah, so back in his beloved Wallowa Valley, old Joseph tore up his Bible. The, quote, Book of Heaven, as he had always called it. Uh, the chief and other Christianized members of the lower Nez Perce bands, they were so disillusioned by the white man, and all he stood for that they quickly reverted to their ancestral nature worship. Yeah. So the Christianity went out the window, basically. Well, and basically it led them into war. Yeah, and that's, yeah. that's where we're headed. Yeah. So the doctrine was that the Indians' lands were an inalienable gift Having a little trouble in there, Bunky. I'd better take a drink.
1: <laughs> oh, ladies and gentlemen, if uh, you only knew what was in that bottle of yeah, water.
0: Yeah. So anyway, it was their land was a gift from the Great Spirit. Yes. And it uh, was a religious thing. Yeah. And they felt like that was their land. It was their ancestral land. So, anyway, in the troubled years that followed, old Joseph steadily failed in health, and but his policy of passive resistance was maintained by his two. Very different sons. The younger one, Olikut, a huge man, enormously popular, advanced rapidly toward the status of becoming a war chief.
1: Right. And okay. the
0: other guy, thunder
1: rolling across the hills.
0: Winning many honors, uh, Olikut did, yeah. with Plains tribes, especially the Nez Perce traditional enemy, the Blackfeet. Meanwhile, young Joseph, who was actually shorter than Olikut, yeah. But nonetheless, he stood six feet, two inches he tall. He was a big man. Very 200, s- 200 pounds. Absolutely big anyway, man. Anyway, yeah. he took over more and more of his father's duties as the civil chief. And he was the good guy. He was good. And yeah. actually, Olacut was okay, too. Yeah. He was just a little more warlike. But you don't know the
1: meaning of Olacut.
0: Not yet. Okay. I'm going to find All out. Right. <laughs> so anyway, so young Joseph, hard his hardest chore was... Uh, tea, uh, Working with the white people, uh, the officials, and disputing their contention about the treaty.
1: It's kind of like us having to work with the Democrats uh, today.
0: Well, you know, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> its It was a political mess. You know, and he was trying to preserve peace. Absolutely. The reservation, you know. Anyway, young Joseph remained polite and friendly, but he was he was tough. He was yeah. fearless. He was adamant. And though he earnestly desired peace with the white men and vigorously opposed uh, the lower Nez Perce chiefs who spoke of war, he didn't want war. Yeah. But in 1871, young Joseph infer- inherited the full weight of chieftainship because his father had died. But before he died, this is what his dad told him. He said, My son, my body is returning to my mother earth, and my spirit is going very soon to see the great spirit. When I am gone, think of your country. You are the chief of these people. They look to you to guide them. Always remember that your father never sold his country. You must stop your ears whenever you are asked to sign a treaty selling your home. That was his advice, and good advice. It was good advice. You know? But Joseph buried his father in the Wallowa Valley, and so now, who really owned the land? you know that uh, you know if you look at the legally from a legal standpoint.
1: Do you, you know, have a map of the perimeter of I, I, the uh, of the first 10,000 acres?
0: You know, I've got a map here that just shows the area, but uh, and I'll show you that okay. here in a minute. Right. But uh, I know we're about out of time. Yes, we are. So um, Olakut's going to get you. Olakut's a good guy, actually. I, oh, okay. I kind of like him right. in the end. All right. <laughs> We'll talk about him later, but uh, let me just show you this map real quick, Seb. Okay.
1: Hold it up uh, by your microphone so the world so everybody can, can see hear. it. Yeah, So everybody
0: can hear. Okay. Okay, so you can see over here is Washington Territory, yep. Oregon, Oregon territory, territory, and right in the middle of Idaho, yep. near Grangeville yep. and uh, those little towns right in there, yeah. and the Salmon River, the, yep. the Clearwater River, the Snake River, right through here, and... Uh,
1: Excellent country for a reservation.
0: Oh, it's beautiful. Excellent country. And... Uh, As I've traveled up through to Coeur d'Alene to visit my daughter, uh, we passed by the big hole battle, uh, some of the battles that took place, and I always picture those in this pierce uh riding through that part of the country when i drive up there
1: you know we are just about out of time but when you were doing the study on this with uh, chief joseph and the Pierce fleeing the military you had to be a little amazed as to the route they took on some really tough ground
0: well and when we get to it i'll talk about how they outsmarted oh yeah the military time after time yeah with a smaller, much smaller group of people.
1: Is it in that story that you have that a lot of the tactics that he used, Chief Joseph, actually were accepted and adopted by our own military?
0: They, some of them uh, complained that they thought that he had maybe gone to Europe and studied military tactics in Europe.
1: Well, he didn't have enough money for a plane ticket no, then, but did he, he
0: was a very smart yeah, guy. Yeah, he was. Yes. I mean, he, he, he was. Uh, you know, defending his family, his yeah. land, I mean... Just another you know, one of,
1: looking back today, as it's so easy to do with hindsight, uh, there were a lot of
0: good people on all sides. There were. But was. the Indians did get a bad deal. They did. And, you know, time and time again, they helped the uh, the yep. settlers. They Absolutely. helped the wagon trains from starving to death. Sacagawea. They helped yeah. pe- They healed people, yep. th- their medicine. Uh, yeah. Anyway, so they did get a bum rap, but... We've only got 30 seconds left. Well, uh, I'm done. To be continued. <laughs> to be continued. We're this gonna... is
1: like those Saturday morning westerns yeah. where the guy's on the edge of the cliff and all of a sudden, to be continued. And
0: we're, and, and uh, I'm going to guess it's going to take at least two more sessions. Really? Yeah. Kind of therapeutic, I wanna, right? I want to cover this thoroughly. Okay. So to be continued, ladies Have and you personally, in the time remaining, been on the route at all? I have. I've been up on the Locksaw River. Uh, in that area of Grangeville and uh, the Lolo Trail and Lolo Pass. I've been up in that area, yeah.
1: So now your brother-in-law is with you, and I'm assuming all the families are going to jump into your extra-huge suburban and take a trip today, is that correct?
0: Yeah, we're going to go to the City of Rocks. <laughs> we're now, not going to go South
1: Knowing you like I do, you're not Chief Joseph. Don't get lost. <laughs> <laughs> I've got my GPS and my phone. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I'm going to say thank you, and we'll see you next week. All right.